the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track, S P O T R A C, today for 40% off your first year subscription. I know it is taboo to pay for things these days, but I can't even imagine something better right now on the internet if you're a sports fan than paying a couple of dollars a year to unlock the athletics coverage. It's all over the place. It is all over the place. Every sport, all the major sports, so much daily content. If your local news right now is struggling to keep up with the current storylines, The Athletic is about as quick as Twitter. And the long-form, short-form commentary podcasts, there's coverage on absolutely everything, especially this week, of course, with the NFL draft. Major League Baseball really starting to find itself with some of these superstars breaking out here, Tatis, Vlad Jr. It's everywhere. Theathletic.com slash Spotrack, 40% off. Worth your investment. Here's the plan for today. Scott Allen joins early on here for the Open to bounce around a little bit with some questions. And at the back end of this, one of my favorite guests, Sarah Langs, MajorLeagueBaseball.com, stat guru, numbers guru. Um, look at Slangs on Sports on Twitter. If you're watching a game, <laughs> she's probably watching it too, and she's going to be tweeting some things that you just don't know. That's how she operates. Her brain is different. She's a great follow. She's a great guest. And she uh, takes up about 25 minutes in the back end of this show with some great thoughts on the Jacob deGrom situation, the Tatis Jr. Padres situation, and a little bit more going on with baseball, right? I mean, it's a weird dynamic in Major League Baseball right now where we've got these kids, some of them getting paid really well, some of them not. So we just kind of discuss what the difference there is. And then the other side of it is you've got players like the Grom, like Verlander, like Scherzer, who kind of seem Tom Brady-esque, right? LeBron James-esque, heading into their mid to late 30s, not slowing down. So how do we handle that situation? How is the money going to kind of unfold with that situation? Sarah and I have a nice discussion about that at the back end of this show. But first, it's fantasy football time, folks. If you're a dynasty fantasy football player... You're probably not happy with your current system. There's not a lot of good ones out there. This one is Dynasty Owner. They've got it all figured out. It's a really great app, really great website. Easy to keep up with your, uh, your roster on a weekly basis. And oh, by the way, that roster is not just a starting lineup. Your bench points count. So it's about having depth. It's about having longevity with your rosters. And it's using real NFL contracts. The average salaries, when they adjust, right? I mean, Chris, Chris Godwin, if he extends off of his franchise tag, you're going to have to flex your roster accordingly and get yourself cap neutral under the salary cap. So really interesting stuff. Great for power users. Great for dynasty users who maybe aren't pleased with their current system. Visit dynastyowner.com today. You can start a league for cash prizes. You can start a league for free just for fun. Maybe beta use it just to see how it is. I'm telling you, it's worth your time. Dynastyowner.com. Scott, welcome back to the show. We're going to bounce around a little bit. So I have this nice little document put together like I usually do. And today it's all about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because it's NFL draft Eve. And I'm not sure there's a more interesting team in the league right now. And that's not usually what happens with the, with the reigning champion. You know what I mean? Usually there's yes. another team that maybe kind of takes over and new England sort of has to some degree with this off season, but that's kind of calmed down because now it's, well, we got to wait and see what it looks like. Right. That is not the case with Tampa Bay. And I've been kind of holding off on this conversation. And I'm glad I did because this morning had another element to it. And literally, Scott, 30 seconds before I, I signed on with you here, some of my content got adjusted. And here's what happened. Cameron Bray just accepted a pay cut, the tight end, and a reworked contract that basically adds some void years he took a little bit of a of a hit on his base salary. He did get a signing bonus, and he cleared almost four point seven million dollars of cap space. Scott, that is the first pay cut slash restructure Tampa Bay has done this offseason. Wow! I was about That's to impressive. open this show today with they have done zero in an offseason where everybody is having to do something. Now, yes, they've had extensions to help cap hits, but no outright pay cuts. This is the first. And I'm kind of glad we got here because this actually answers other questions that I had about this team um, in, in terms of that position. Because what I've got here is I've got kind of an off-season rundown of what Tampa Bay has done. 
And then I've got some question marks about the draft and then maybe what could could be next for Tampa Bay because they're not done. This is this is not a finished product, even even though what I'm about to tell you certainly seems like it could be. Here's where I'm going to start. And please just react however you need. Uh, you know that I track these starting lineups on a weekly basis. It's kind of my Sunday morning thing with seven cups of coffee. So I have the 29-man starting lineup for the Buccaneers Super Bowl roster from last, okay. last February. 29 men include you know, four wide receivers, two running backs, two tight ends, the whole offensive line, you know, a full defensive line, the linebacker core, and then the, the secondary and your special teams player. So it's, pretty, it's a pretty big sample of you know, that team on a weekly basis. All 29 players who started that Super Bowl are back under contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for 2021. And here's, wow. and here's the numbers I have. In terms of combined average salaries, at the Super Bowl, those 29 players accounted for $177 million. Today, they count for $204 million. So there were obviously some adjustments, the ones you can think of out loud. Um, you know, eight, nine, excuse me, nine players had some sort of adjustment to their contract out of the 29. But just that alone, Scott, 29, they're 29 for 29, bringing back that Super Bowl roster. What, what is that? Is that too much continuity for you? Or because I'm not even done. I've got way more <laughs> fun facts about this team in terms of the depth that they kept as well. But, but just your initial thoughts on that alone. I think the continuity is good, okay. but I know teams and coaches and GMs have said, if you're not trying to bring in new blood, you know, you could get sort of a stalemate. But with that being said, the Buccaneers do have a handful of draft picks that they can use, including yeah, we'll still get there. number 32. We'll get there. Um, and I think it, there's actually a, a, a starting position that could get shook up a little bit. So I think I can answer that point, Scott. It, Chris Godwin signed that franchise tender, but that does not mean that he won't sign an extension, which could help uh -huh. that as well. Um, I do not have an issue with them bringing all of those starters back, especially for the fact that if if they're gelling, if they enjoy playing, and for the fact that you have all of those players that have the Super Bowl experience, you have the experience together, you're not just doing what – Kansas City has done with on the fly having to refix their entire offensive line. And now you have to go in with guys and, and understanding schemes and all that. You have a team that already understands the culture. Yeah. And it, it, I, I'd be curious to know what other Super Bowl team has even come close <laughs> I, to this. I tried. I, I honestly tried. And I just. It, it was going to be days worth of work for me to kind it of put together be. that. So I, I apologize that I don't have that, Scott, because you're right. That it would be the interesting take. Even with the Chiefs two years ago, I mean, they retained a lot, but a lot of it was just extending their own, which Tampa Bay hasn't even started really doing that yet. That's kind of next on the list here. So you're right, Scott. I, I, I wish I could bring that kind of data to you, and maybe that's an off-season. Maybe that's a, a midsummer project for us. But here's two thoughts on what you just said. Number one, 2020 wasn't normal. You know, especially the offseason part of it, especially Tom Brady signing, then having, you know, some sort of welcoming practices and mini camps and let's all get together and bro out and whatever it's going to be. That didn't happen. Last year was random, thrown together, and they made this thing gel week eight. You know what I mean? It was it was an on the fly process. So if you're thinking about like complacency, which sometimes we do see, even from a, a one year to two year basis. I don't think that can be the case because these guys haven't had this off season together yet. They're going to get together for camp and it's going to be the first time that this group has really kind of had for the most part, that whole process together. Correct. So it's going to be new, even if it's not new, just from that outlook. And number two, look, generally what happens with champions that makes them fall off, fall on their face the next year or two years later is egos. You know, they get, cocky they're arrogant and not that that that's who they are personality wise it's just it just comes with the territory you've you've risen to the top you've climbed the mountain 
and now there's, now there's expectations. Now there's, you know, just personal, personal goals. You make a mistake out there. It's, you're going to take it harder than you normally would because you, you know what you're capable of because of what 2020 was. There's just a lot that goes with it. The, the reason I'm not worried about that, even if there's some egos out there, is Tom Brady. <laughs> I mean, Tom Brady's been handling egos. In fact, he's been, re, he's been begging for egos. The fact that Antonio Brown re-signed this morning is everything you need to know about Tom Brady. The, the off-the-field stuff, it's terrible. It stinks. But Tom Brady, when you, put, when you get these guys in helmets and in locker rooms and on sidelines, Tom Brady is hes just like the right person to be able to put all that stuff away and be football only and be on top of it all. He is the, the coach without being the coach. He has been for 15 years. So that, the fact that they've got that guy and a normal, somewhat normal offseason ahead of them, I, I give them all the credit in the world for doing this. Yeah, and the fact that they're bringing them back, you know, the fall-off, like you mentioned, is usually significant players that contributed left the team. And ah, they, they have let me that jump in. That's a point I was just about to make. Scott, it's a great point. Here's the other part of why I'm, I'm, perf- I'm perfectly fine with 29 for 29 coming back on this roster. Many of these players did were, were given the chance to go and, and shop elsewhere, Scott. The, the, the Buccaneers didn't force their hand. Yes, they gave Godwin the franchise tag. Good for them. But, you know, Dom Kasu, even Barrett didn't officially re-sign until after March 17th. He had the opportunity to negotiate deals inside of that window. Gronk had a chance to go look somewhere else. Uh, I'm certain I'm missing some players here. Fournette had plenty of opportunities to go somewhere else. Levante David. Levante David was right up there against that March 17th threshold. So they didn't, they didn't say, Hey, you know, if you're coming back here, it's going to be on a discount before March 17th. We want to get this figured out before free agency starts. So we know where we're at. They didn't do that. They didn't do that. These guys had the opportunity to go out there and get their paydays. You know, maybe Shaq Barrett got a bigger offer somewhere, but they're all back here, and and I don't think any of them really got fleeced contractually. I think it was probably the going rate, maybe minus one to two million per year. The guarantees are strong. Tampa Bay flexed and used void years to manage the cap brilliantly, and I, I just think that's that part of it is underrated right now because everybody's got to be happy with their decisions. You understand what I'm saying? Like nobody, nobody was pigeonholed into, well, you know, I, I can't leave this team, but, but it's 10 million less than I could have got from the jets. I don't think any of these players feel like that right now. They were given the, the, the opportunity to go and shop, to go and get their paydays, to go and get major money from bad teams. And they've, and they're back here. And, and for whatever, whatever reason that is, they're here, all 29 of them. So I, that's a big part of it, I think, Scott. And I, I apologize for jumping in, but I wanted to make sure that that part of the offseason was accounted for because it's underrated. You know, it's not the Chiefs who had players under contract who, who gave them good faith co- extensions. You know, Kelsey got his extension. Tyreek got his extension. Tyron Matthew, of course, was brought in on a nice deal. That's not what this was. And, and Shaq Barrett's contract is maybe the one version of that and Levante David to some degree. But we haven't even seen the big pudding yet. And we can start, start talking there if you want. If Godwin's going to get extended, you know, that's going to be a big one. If Devin White's going to be extended, that's going to be a big one. And those could be major, major summer, summer blockbuster extensions coming from Tampa Bay right now if they can figure out their cap situation. Um, let me just run this down for you so you have the full gamut of what, what they've done, Scott. They re-signed two major pieces of the defensive line, inside and outside. Dom Kinsu, Shaq Barrett. They, they extended their left tackle, Donovan Smith, and re-signed two backup offensive linemen. They re-signed two backup nose tackles, Scott. So they, ex- they, they, they exercised the fifth-year option on Vita Vea and then re-signed Steve McClendon and Nunez Roches, who are basically his two backups. They brought back Fournette, who's the second running back, and added Giovanni Bernard as a third running back, maybe even the fourth running back if you're talking about Vaughn as well in this picture. They bring back Gronk, having already had Cameron Brait under contract and O.J. Howard's fifth-year option. We're going to get back to that in a second. They re-signed their kicker to basically the highest average-paid kicker contract in football right now, Ryan Suckup. That went under the radar. They re-signed their long snapper, 
They re-signed their third backup cornerback, Ross Cockrell. They brought back, of course, Levante David, but also brought back his backup in Minter. They extended Brady, but also brought back Ryan Griffin to be his backup. They did everything. It wasn't just about, we got to keep our starting 11 intact. And that's kind of the narrative that's out there right now, Scott. They didn't just bring back the starting 11. They brought back most of the backup players for that starting 11 as well. It's a, it's a complete redo. It's a complete let's run it back situation for Tampa Bay. Everybody's involved. And that's incredible. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're telling me that none of those players wanted to jump ship to go get an extra two and a half million somewhere else. You can't tell me those, those offers weren't out there. They had to be out there. And you can say that they haven't done enough in the defensive line for going forward. Fine. You can tell me that they need another offensive lineman going forward. Fine. They're thinking about 2021 singularly. And, and, I, and I love it. I love and it. I should. love it. I love it. And we can talk about how Brady wants to play till he's 45 and how long is he going to go. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers don't care. And this is proof. This is proof. They, they love their 2020 roster. They want to see it again in 2021. That's where the conversation ends for them. And I applaud them for it. So uh, it's, a, it's a deep, deep offseason run here. It really is, Scott. Well, and the fact that you listing that out, I'm thinking how we've had the conversation with basketball and teams that are deep and have a deep bench sure. and are able are the teams that for the most part can make deep runs into the playoffs. And the, what you just listed out is showing that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a well-rounded, but they're deep on multiple yeah. levels. And I know we're going to get to it. Having eight picks right now in the draft yeah. just allows them to fill in any weakness or pick best available, knowing that they're going to have these guys locked up for four years. Yes, they want to go right now, but they have the ability to get a wide receiver or an offense, a defensive lineman or a linebacker to fill in behind some of these guys to learn from these guys that have all this experience that have, the Super Bowl, you know, if you're if you're a college kid about to get drafted by Tampa Bay, you're you're on top of the world because you're going to you're not only going to learn from Tom Brady, but you're going to learn from all those other guys, regardless of the position that you're in. So you mentioned the draft. Let's talk about it, because, you know, obviously it's a fun time to kind of spin around and look at 15 or 20 mock drafts that are out there. And if you do that from Tampa Bay's angle, it couldn't be more different. And that's to their credit. Nobody really knows where that team has to go at pick 32. Nobody right. really knows. And then I looked at pick 64 as well. Nobody really knows. And it's because of what I just said. They've filled in their depth so well already that, yes, of course, you know, somebody at 32 could be an upgrade to somebody sitting on that roster. The only position that I truly feel, and we'll see if this bears out tomorrow night, that they could upgrade the starting position is their number two cornerback. I think there's a little bit of a doubt. Their entire secondary, Scott, is on rookie contracts right now. And two of those players probably have to get paid after this offseason. So if you're starting to think 2021 versus going forward, that's, that's one of the areas I'm looking at. But in terms of immediate impact, it wouldn't shock me at all if they're moving up to get a solid cornerback tomorrow night, Thursday in that first round. That would make sense to me. Other than that, let let a uh, an edge rusher fall to you as depth behind Barrett. Let a defensive lineman fall to you to to, to account for the situation with you know Sue leaving next year. Let a, let an offensive tackle fall to you or an interior offensive lineman fall to you because you could use an maybe a swing man there this year. It's it's all good. It, and uh, oh by the way, you're right. If one of those wide receivers, you know, fall if the fourth or fifth best wide receiver falls deep. Look for them to take it. Look for them to take it because it's going to be about flipping next year. We don't know what the Godwin situation is going to play out. I don't imagine Antonio Brown is back next year. So there's going to be a need going forward. The, the, the great thing about what Tampa Bay has done this offseason is they can now use this draft as a singular usage for their future, which is actually what it's supposed to be. You know what I mean? You're really not supposed to be filling starting roles in, in the current draft. That's... That's not a great way to operate. 
they don't, they shouldn't have to do that. You know, they can go out there and fill in their pieces for 2022 and, and kind of backlog, which is the right way to, I, I give this team a heck of a lot of credit because I, I, I think that they're setting themselves up certainly for 2021, but they have a chance to draft well and really be in good shape for 2022. And not just from a roster standpoint, financially speaking too, right? I mean, if you don't want to pay Carlton Davis next year, your starting cornerback, if you don't want to give him 15, 16 a year, you can replace him right now. And you can do the same with your inside linebacker situation. You can do the same with the defensive tackle. That's what it's all about. It's about flipping some of these contracts over from what would have to be a veteran extension to a rookie contract that you can control. It's really good stuff. Here's where I want to pivot. The literally minutes ago restructure of Cameron Bray pretty much locks his roster spot in. And he was on the bubble for me. He's been on the bubble for me for months now. So Gronk is back. Braid is back. OJ Howard's on a fifth-year option, and he's oft injured, but he's a huge talent. You and I talked about it, how he's one of the highest-drafted tight ends in history. That's something that you and I laid out here. There's tight end needy teams out there, and there's tight end needy teams who aren't going to get Kyle Pitts tomorrow and who maybe don't want to acquire Zach Ertz on that current contract, you know? I think there's probably a, a better than 50% chance that OJ Howard is at least pushed out onto a trade block over the next couple of weeks, maybe after the draft, once teams kind of figure out what they do or don't have. But knowing now that camera bait is all but locked in, I, I think OJ Howard's spot is less secure. I think it's less secure. So that's now a name to watch. Will they extend Chris Godwin? Will they extend Devin White this year? And then where what happens to O.J. Howard going forward? That's kind of how I want to leave it with Tampa Bay. Any other thoughts on this roster, Scott? Let me, let, actually, let me pose this question to uh, you because this is something. And then, sorry. Is Ryan Griffin an adequate backup <laughs> that, to Tom that Brady? Was going, that was where I was going. You read my mind. Okay, perfect. I, I, I would not be shocked if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers used one of these picks if if – they see one of these quarterbacks happens to just fall sure. because of how things land. They have that opportunity to get uh, at 32 or even at 64. I would if think they second feel, or third round. Yeah, I would think later. But they have that opportunity, whereas you have other teams that are trying to get that quarterback to fill in. You know Tom's time is limited. So if mm-hmm. you can get someone that you think is an upgrade over Griffin, then then do so, knowing that the rest of your roster is really solid. If Tom goes down, do you necessarily want Griffin as your your backup starting quarterback on week seven or eight leading through the back half because something just happens to Tom and he, he can't play? Maybe they like him enough that they want him, but – my guess is not. So I would not be surprised if quarterback is towards the top of their list if they can't get a premier skill player, yeah. even if they had to go up. So I, I yeah, think that's I, probably right. I'm, I'm going to throw a name out to you because I think this kid is probably going to be a, right in their wheelhouse draft-wise. Davis Mills from Stanford. I, I, I bet that's exactly the kind of player that they're they're identifying who – certainly isn't game ready right now and might not be game ready next year, but that sort of aligns with Tom Brady's, you know, the descent anyway, out of, out of the, out of the league. So you bring a kid in like that, who may be the ninth or 10th prospect on, on the board right now. And if he's there, pick 64, or maybe even possibly for that third round, he's a, you know, third or fourth round. That's, that's one of those names where there's probably upside and maybe putting him behind Tom Brady with a clipboard for a couple of years is just enough to give him a legitimate shot in 2023 or four, for instance. So I think that's right, Scott. I, I think that's exactly right. And by the way, it's not like they didn't have an opportunity to, to upgrade that backup quarterback role. There were tons of names out there. Tons of names. You know, they right. could have thrown anybody a, a million or $2 early on in this offseason to be a more secure backup. They didn't resign Blaine Gabbard. They basically promoted... Ryan Griffin from third string to second string. So there's a slot there. There's a slot there for a draft pick to come in and, you know, maybe compete with Ryan Griffin for that second job this year or stay on a, stay on a practice squad and then get that job next year. And 
on top of it, you're bringing in a quarterback that can learn from yeah. Tom. That, that's Th- the that, only really that, criteria is, is, is can you like, be capable of sitting there and, and, and soaking it all in right now? Because here's since 2000, these are the five quarterbacks that Tampa Bay has drafted. Okay. Josh, Josh Freeman, Jameis Winston, Mike Glennon, Josh Johnson, and Bruce Gregkowski. Since two. Got to tell you, they've all got pretty good uh, career salaries. They've all bounced around, you know, and made their money. But, yes. Yeah. No, yeah. not much sticking power there. That's for sure. But if Tampa Bay can draft a kid, second, third round, whatever it may be, to come in behind, it's the same situation where Green Bay did last year. They wanted Love to come in and try to learn behind Aaron Rodgers. Same thing with Rodgers behind Favre and any other. It does not happen very often that you have a legacy player and you bring in a quarterback to fill in behind that legacy player to learn. Usually, like we're seeing right now, you're you're drafting for Jacksonville, you're drafting for the Jets, and you're throwing these quarterbacks that are being drafted in the top 10 and immediate starters because you have to have them as a starter. So if you can get a a second-tier quarterback that you feel has – a high ceiling now is the time to do it. And like we said last, last time, this is a value draft because the cap is going to go up. Right. If you feel you are going to go deep again this year, that means you're going to be 30, 31, 32 picking next year. You don't know where Tom's going to be after that. So if you can, and your roster, yeah, is you're not going to be up, in draft position to draft the top quarterback this you know, next year anyway. Right. So don't even consider if, it. You just look for the best value here this year. You're exactly right, Scott. Yeah, because if your roster, if you're deep in almost every position, yeah, okay, 32, like you mentioned, maybe they go up, they take a quarter cornerback, cornerback yeah. uh, or or it falls to them at 32. Who's to say 64, they don't move up because the player you mentioned or a, a handful of other players that they feel are starting to slip because they they really do have a blank check as far as their draft that's because right. of how they are. That's right. And they can and they can forfeit a couple 2022 picks if they need to. I, I think that's right, Scott. I think they're in power position here. It's wherever they see that they, they probably got five or six names heading into tomorrow that they really, really have, have identified. And, you know, however they feel they need to get them, they're going to do it. I think that's probably right. Um, last thing on this, <laughs> isn't this the perfect team now, division wise, rivalry wise, blah, blah, but Brady goes down week four, right? And they don't have a viable step in guy. You just call it Drew Brees, right? We've seen it happen. Uh- Interesting. We've seen it happen. This is the team, right? This is the team that could absolutely just do that. Just roll with it. It could, but would he do that conference rival from what he was with? I mean, I guess if he throws a good coin at him, but. Teams were calling Tony Romo, you know? Yeah. Yeah. With with, with those weapons that they have, I mean. Yeah. And, And oh, by the way, the consistency of the rest of the roster. Everybody knows their role right now. Everybody. It is literally plug and play, and the quarterback position would be the same. So <laughs> I just think that what they've done offseason-wise sets them up for very, very good things this year. And uh, nothing's off the table. Nothing's off the table. It's, it's been really fun to watch. It's, we'll see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Like I said, maybe there's some uh, extensions slash trades out there to be had, and I would imagine that that is the case. But kudos to the Buccaneers. It's been a heck of a run here for the past couple of months. All right, Scott. I got one more thing for you football-wise. The NFLPA brought out their top 10 officially licensed product numbers in terms of the players that sold the most products in 2020. Have you seen the list? I have not. Good. Let's do this. Trivia time, sir. All right. I'm going to say... Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six. Eight of the 10 are quarterbacks. That should not surprise you. Um, Not at all. I, I'm going to see how many of these names you can get. Okay. Can you give me the two non-quarterbacks? It's all offense. Um, it is all offense. Oh, it's all offense. All offense. Okay. Um, ooh, let's go with... Let's go with... DeAndre Hopkins? No. No, 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 no. 
No, no, no. Is uh, is it wide receiver? Hold on, let me look. Where is Hopkins? Hopkins isn't even in this conversation. It it is a pass catcher who's number okay. eight right now. It is a pass catcher. Metcalf. It is George Kittle. Is the oh. first non-quarterback on this list. Ah, should have thought of that. Number ten is a running back. Running back. A running back. Uh, let's go with. It's not the highest paid running back. It is not the running back that had a great year last year. Is it Zeke? It's Zeke. Okay. It's Zeke. Yeah, Dallas makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Zeke is in the top 10 here. He is 10th. Now we've got eight quarterbacks. Um, I don't know if you'll get number one. Really? Well, I was going to guess Tom. It is Tom. I thought you okay. might go. I thought you might go Mahomes on that. Mahomes is no. two. No, because I know Tom's jersey sales have been off the charts. So Tom number one for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, and remember, this isn't just jerseys. This is all product. So there's some all players products. who do very very well with other things. Like for instance, there's a player who's not top ten, but he does really well with headbands. Who didn't make the list but was third in headbands? Think about it. Think about which quarterback out there wears a headband in all the pictures you've seen of him. Oh, gosh. This guy was in the top 10 last year. He dropped out, which is interesting because I think he had his best year ever. (laughs) Baker Mayfield. Uh, Not in the top 10. And literally on every commercial you see during the NFL season. But... Um, mm. his Jersey sale specifically kind of fell. So he's out. Lamar Jackson is third. Does that surprise you? Oh, very much. So. Yeah, me too. Very much. Tua tongue of Iola fourth. Really? I'm surprised by that. Who's number two? Mahomes. Um, yeah. Okay. Fifth. Wilson. No, he's coming. Wilson's seventh. Fifth is a player who. Clearly, the sales are not slowing down, but it, you may have a limited chance to get this player's gear from this team. Deshaun Watson. Oh, good guess. Aaron Rodgers. Fifth. Yeah, that was my second guess. Aaron Rodgers, fifth. Guess. Get your Green Bay gear while it's, while it's available. Joe Burrow, sixth. The, the, uh, the NFL draft stuff must have really worked with him because obviously he had a limited time out there. Um, Boston Wilson seventh and nine. I, I'm surprised he's ninth. I'm surprised he's not third, the number nine guy. Knowing what we know about how rampant the fan base is and how they've been craving for success at this position. <laughs> Dak. Josh Allen, ninth Josh overall. Allen. Yeah. Uh, I'm I, gonna I, guess I, this is gonna go up this year. <laughs> I'm gonna guess he might be a top five merchandise sale in after 2021 if the Bills have another year of success. But, uh, I, I don't. I don't find it surprising that the rookie scale contract player quarterbacks are heavy on this list mm-hmm. because of the the trend of the younger crowd that wants to buy. Yeah, more. new is always better, right? Yeah, new yeah. is always better, and they're they're more willing to go and buy those off kind of products as opposed to an adult is most likely going to buy a jersey or a shirt or you know, those kinds of things when they're going to the game. It's incredible to me that Zeke is here and Dak is not. I I am not as surprised because Dak. Was it just the unknown, it, you think? Well, not so much the unknown, but that he wasn't there for the latter half. Sure. He got hurt before Christmas, didn't he? And that's probably so when most of the sales happened. He fell, he fell out of if, – if he would have played the rest of the season and then going in knowing that the contract conversation was going to happen, I bet you he would be higher. Yeah. But knowing that he, he fell out of the limelight and then the contract came up towards the free agency, there is that gap in there that he was not necessarily going to be uh, talked about or seen as much. So I, I'm, not as, I'm not that surprised. So there's actually a really neat breakdown here from the NFLPA of kind of like who was tops at what. 
I mean, Mahomes dominates so many of these random categories. Uh, figurines and coins, uh, plush products, pet products, all Mahomes. <laughs> uh, autographed hats where it's Brady. Um, oh, my God. Sports mania player emojis, Brady. <laughs> Uh, just, just, it's all over the place. Bobbleheads are up there. Like I said, I mean, athletic headbands, Mahomes and Mayfield are up there. And Tom Brady broke the fanatics record for the most jerseys sold in a single season. 19% of all Tampa Bay championship gear was Tom Brady's. I mean, he dominated yeah. He just dominated it. Rightfully so. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay, it's time to talk some baseball. Scott, thanks so much. We'll be back soon with you. Let's talk about numbers in Major League Baseball with Sarah Langs. All right, she slangs on sports on Twitter. Did I get that wrong already, Sarah? Nope, you got it. Slangs on sports. <laughs> That's a great start. Slangs on sports on Twitter. She is the Major League Baseball stat guru, at least on Twitter and, and on podcasts. She's, she's complimentary to pretty much all facets of the Major League Baseball game. We're thrilled to have her back on the show. Sarah Lang. Sarah, we had a... It's been a fun start. 25 days into the season, but really this weekend specifically, it seems like the superstars are here. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's been great since opening day. There's no question, but I feel like everything just, like, crystallized this weekend. We got to see Fernando Tatis Jr. just... You know, he was great at the beginning of the season for a couple of days, and then he was injured, and he came back, and it looked like he was really struggling. And then he absolutely went off this weekend, as we saw. We saw the Padres, you know, take three out of four from the Dodgers, and so many other great performances, too. I mean, I, you know, Jacob DeGrom, what was that, on Friday night? And I feel like we've already forgotten about that. Oh, not me. 50 strikeouts. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> um. Let's start with Tatis, I guess, because he's he's hard to look away from. Is there is there a player that that we should expect him to be in terms of maybe a comparison? Um, I, I know he's definitely you know doing a lot of things to his own drum right now. You know his look, his personality, his care is just carefree attitude. You know the the celebrations. It's all good in my opinion. It's good for baseball. It's great for baseball. But, you know, in terms of just the stats and the numbers that you're looking at, I mean, what kind of player is this kid going to be in three years? I mean, the easiest way to compare anything is just to say that he's really off to a Hall of Fame start, you know, and it's been only a handful of games so far. He hasn't played 162 yet. I think Sunday was uh, number 158. But if you look at a lot of what he's done to this point, He's doing things that have either only been done by Hall of Famers or Mike Trout when you're talking about power and speed or things that no one else has done. I mean, he has 30, I think he has 31 stolen bases now. He's got 46, 47 home runs. Nobody's ever had those kinds of numbers for their first 162 games. He just became the first person ever with back-to-back multi-homer games off of Cy Young winners, which, you know, wasn't possible for the first you know, 50 to 70 years of baseball because the Cyan War didn't exist, but it's still pretty crazy. And it just tells you how sort of in his own league he is. I mean, when I think about him and other similar players, the player I think most of is really just Ronald Acuna Jr., you know, and it's pretty cool that, you know, obviously that's a current comp, but Acuna is a couple of years ahead of him just in terms of career. You know, they're only, you think, a year apart in terms of age. But when you look at stuff like that, I mean, I love to look at, you know, your sprint speed, hard hit rate combo guys, and those two are on the list right now you know, along with Mike Trout and Byron Buxton. And it's really, really awesome to see. So you you literally read my mind. I just flipped over to Acuna as you were speaking because <laughs> more so from his perspective now, because I, I think Tatis now, I mean, he's got big shoes to fill with the contract uh, and, and the, the city of San Diego as a whole. I mean, there's a lot riding on it, even though that team is pretty deep as they are. Uh, the Acuna situation is crazy. I, I mean... I guess kudos to the Braves for kind of foreshadowing this because in 2018, year one, you know, it, the numbers were great. They were, you know, 26 homers, 16 swipes, 64 RBIs. That's, that's, that's good time production for a hundred plus games. I mean, not, not a full season, but they were able to kind of see what was coming here because he, they signed him to that ridiculous deal, 12 and a half a year for the next eight. I mean, buying out four years of free agency, insane, 
and he's been better <laughs> every year. He's been better every year. He's going to be right there with Tatis productively. Am, am I wrong in saying that, even though he's $240 million less in financially? Absolutely. I mean, you know, you talk about the best young players in baseball right now. Mike Trout's 29, but I'm taking him out of that kind of running, you know, 25 and under. And it's them and Juan Soto. And it seems like Juan Soto is absolutely going to get paid a ton of money whenever that does happen, just based on the conversations that we've all seen this offseason. I mean, based off of the Tatis deal and based off of all of these other contracts. But it is interesting. I mean, it's funny because, you know, certainly kudos to the Braves for, you know, trusting the player, knowing what was there and locking him up to a long term deal. But it also feels a little bit like a product of the times. I mean, 2018 doesn't seem that long ago. But when you think about where we are with contracts and where we were then, it's a long time ago. I mean, that was before we got our, our $300 million deal, the million dollar deals. All we had was Giancarlo Stanton's, which was totally different. And now we're in this spot where, you know, Harper got a ton of money. Machado got a ton of money. Uh, Mike Trout got his big extension that starts with a four. And I, it feels like the contract trends have changed really rapidly. And, you know, despite whatever may have gone into the calculus of that deal it sort of feels like even two years later there's no way that would have happened no no chance because of the the surround the surroundings but uh, you know i'm still i still struggle with this i i i I do this for a living and you know is the tati situation just an anomaly sarah or 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 are we going to start to see i mean is vlad jr going to be next you know is he going to is he going to lock in his career financials before age 25 because the offer is out there? Or do you think that what San Diego has done here is special, unique, because this player is specially unique, not just on the field, but he brings so much more off of it. And, and, you know, there's very, very few kids that will have that. I think it's the latter. And that's no disrespect to Vlad Jr., who's off to a great start. And I think by the end of this year, we probably will start to hear those contract conversations with him. But I just think that even in his short career so far, Fernando Tatis Jr. showed not just outstanding play, but that X factor. And the team knew. I mean, you you heard A.J. Preller talking in their press conference when they introduced the deal, and they knew this was their gem of a player. And I think that those types of players are few and far between. We have so many outstanding talents in baseball, there's no question. But there are only a handful of guys that you point to as one of those guys. And I think that this will certainly, I I could certainly see this becoming more of the norm for those kinds of guys at this age, which was previously pretty much unheard of. I mean, you remember when Evan Longoria was signed to a deal after playing like, you know, five days or whatever it was with the Rays, that was so atypical. And that wasn't a high money deal. You know, that wasn't like Tatis's in terms of dollar amount, but that was so atypical. And now we're seeing this more and more. And I think that, you know, it's just, it's going to, it makes sense to me if it happens more with these kinds of players, but I wouldn't necessarily expect it just for the guys who come up with a ton of hype. Like Vlad Jr. came up with a ton of hype and he's finally now living up to it this year. By the end of this year, maybe we're having that conversation, but entering this year, no way. You know, it just doesn't seem like the same type of, you know, sentiment. Yeah. No question about it. All right. I'm going to give you a stat, which I guarantee you know, because (laughs) you are, you have got to be impossible to stump. But I saw this today, actually from the team itself, Shohei Otani is going to take the mound tonight. And as the starting pitcher who is also leading the majors, tied for the majors league in home runs. The last time this happened, I know you know the answer. Give it to us. Yep, Babe Ruth, June 13th, 1921. 1921. So you know Uh, what I love about this is that since Shohei Otani signed with the Angels, everybody's been trying to compare him to Babe Ruth. Like, that is the thing. It's like, oh, we want him to be the first since Babe Ruth. And you see a lot of stats, which, you know, we, we work in stats, we work in numbers. Sometimes you force the point a little bit with a very specific qualifier, whatever else it might be. And there are some times when Shohei Otani has been compared to Babe Ruth so far where it was like, did you really need that to be seven of whatever that is? Seven is kind of a weird number there. And there have also been times where it was valid. This is a time where you didn't need to do any extra work. That's what I love about this is that 
it's just the last time it happened was Babe Ruth. It's not like, oh, the last time a guy led the majors with seven homers specifically or something like that. It's <laughs> literally just tied for the major league lead in homers and being the starting pitcher. And uh, it's so cool. I mean, if you asked me this morning, I saw the Angels tweet this out this morning. If you asked me before that, my guess would have been Babe Ruth only because the other kind of quasi two-way guys or um, what, you know, the Rick Ankiels or whoever else who either did one of these things and then the other or did them both at the same time or tried to none of them were in this echelon you know so what my guess might have been today if if somebody would have posed that question today specifically you know yeah. who was the last pitcher to have this have this honor I might have said Madison Bumgarner because it's a big <laughs> Madison Bumgarner morning, and he could have been, he could have been. I mean, that's a home run here. I've, he's had opening day home runs, so it's possible. Yeah. Um, but obviously, this is way cooler. So, so that, this leads us into this question, and this is a, a a very broad question. But just how good for baseball is this? Not just Otani, but the success of the Angels. I don't think it can be said enough that. Baseball needs this team specifically with this player and Mike Trout to be winning. And do they have the roster? And is Joe Madden just crazy enough to keep this thing alive for 162? Absolutely. Well, to start with, I mean, Shohei Otani is already amazing for baseball, as you were saying. But I agree. I mean, I think everyone who is baseball fan, even casual fans, I think everybody wants to see Mike Trout get a chance at that deep playoff run. You know, they made it in 2014. They got swept and he hasn't had another chance in the playoffs and everyone wants to see him play in the playoffs. You want to remove, excuse me, remove that narrative and just once and for all, let him be a world series champ or get to the world series, whatever else it might be. I was skeptical, but hopeful entering the year. I mean, if you looked at their roster, it felt like a lot really did hinge on Otani. And it's funny because as great as his offense is, and he's hit, you know, a 450 foot home run this year, a 440 foot home run, he crushed the ball at 119 miles an hour a couple of weeks ago. As much as that has all been helpful for the team, it almost feels like they need him to be a good pitcher for this to fully work out. And that's the part where there's some questions. I mean, you know, control has not been the best we saw. I mean, that first start was like one of the weirdest starts we've watched in recent memory with that two run, that strikeout issue, like that play at the end, right, where he got, you know, leveled at the plate and luckily was okay. And then in his last start, I mean, same thing was four innings, you know, and I think that best utilizing him as a pitcher, whatever that might be is going to be crucial for them. But if it doesn't work, I hope that they can figure that out within the next few weeks and just have him hitting every day. Because hitting every day, I mean, he's been really important to this lineup. This lineup didn't have Anthony Rendon for the last week plus, and you didn't even notice because of what he's been doing. But I just have so many questions with their pitching. Dylan Bundy had a really good year last year for them, you know, after all the trials and tribulations with the with the Orioles, but I'm not 100% sure that that's going to continue for the entirety of this year. And, you know, bullpens, there's just always questions. And pitching was their big question in the offseason. They didn't really address it, aside from signing Julio Tehran. So, you know, that's where my questions are with this. But, I mean, the fact that they're in second in that division uh, is just exactly what you want to see. At least they're close by. There's no question. And Otani's a big part of it. You're right. If he can stay yeah. healthy, even if he's a slightly above average pitcher, it'll be enough because that's where they're lacking. And I do think that there's a new set of eyes in that front office right now. Certainly Madden's a new piece of this puzzle. Um, I wondered if they'll be a little bit more aggressive come July, you know, and, yeah. and if there's a veteran on a bad team out there, maybe even Max Scherzer. I know that sounds crazy, know. but oh, you know, you, you got to be fishing big right now if you're that team, because like I said, you know, we're pushing up against the work stoppage and CBA mess and all that, that it would be the right move for the Angels to win right now and give us that taste in our mouth. Speaking of pitchers, but not with control issues, I I am here for whatever numbers, stats, gimmicks you have on Jacob DeGrom that you can throw at me because this is a very fun ride. He is must-see TV right now. There's no question about it. I mean, he's got five hits. He's got an ERA of 0.3. There's, there's nothing you don't want to see from this guy. What, what do you have? Give me the goods. I mean, the he's just been incredible, right? He's got 50 strikeouts and four starts this year. It's the most of anybody through four appearances in the season. And the hilarious thing to me about that stat 
is that Shane Bieber tied the record in his fourth start, which was a couple days before DeGrom's. It was 1978, Nolan Ryan. It was 48 strikeouts. Nobody else had even tied that since then. And then Shane Bieber comes along and strikes out 48 through four starts. And I'm thinking, okay, cool. You know, looking ahead to the five, looking ahead to the next list for Shane Bieber. And then Jacob deGrom takes them out on Friday night. And I was talking to my friend, Mandy Bell, who covers the Indians. I'm like two or three innings in, I'm messaging her. And I'm like, I, I think deGrom is going to break that record. Like I didn't even think yeah, it, stop I was writing. going to be <laughs> using that again. And here I am and he's going to break it. And he broke it by two. I mean, you know, 15 strikeouts was a career high for him. It was the most by any Mets pitcher since, I think, Al Leiter in 1999. I mean, it was just incredible. He had two hits. He had 15 strikeouts. I mean, there's lists of guys who do that. And he's doing this all with this completely, you know, revamped arsenal in a way over the last few years where he just keeps adding velocity. And we're seeing that you can add velocity, which I don't think is something that people really understood or believed in. Uh, even as recently as, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago. But, you know, we have a guy who's into his 30s, who's now throwing 99 and 100, which was not what he did when he came up in 2014. And it's just, it's really incredible. Yeah, I was going to focus there anyway. Um, 32 going on 33 is a couple of weeks away from 33 here. You know, he's under contract essentially for a year and a half. He's got an option. He's, you know, he's the ninth highest paid pitcher in baseball right now, which... (laughs) You know, if he and his agent want to have a gripe about it, there's a gripe to be had because he's, you know, nine million under Garrett Cole right now. And Steven Strasburg is right there. And there's a lot of people that probably shouldn't be there in terms of him. So, what you know, what's the outlook for a pitcher like this? He's not 25. He's not 28. You're, but he's adding velocity. And, you know, is it just a ticking time bomb? <laughs> because these things just don't last, except for they have lately, Sarah. We, for some reason, Justin Verlander was able to do this as well. And he's upper 30s now. And there's a chance that he could recover from a, another major injury and still continue to play baseball at a high level. So, you know, is 32, 33 not even something to gawk about anymore with these starting pitchers? And final question on him. Can this can can Jacob Degrom actually even convert into something like a John Smoltz back in the day because of this velocity, because of the slider, changeup, fastball arsenal? You know, is this a kid that can pitch to the forties into his forties because of what he's been able to do in his thirties? Does he have that kind of longevity? And do, and do pitchers for some reason have they figured out how to pitch longer now? You know, it's an interesting question. I think that a lot of this gets to, you know, the state of modern medicine and the state of modern training. I mean, players in general are stronger, faster, more capable than they've ever been in baseball history right now, just athletically, you know, not in terms of baseball IQ or anything like that, but just in terms of staying healthy and everything else. And we see injuries, but I do think that, you know, the guys that you're mentioning, I mean, you know, Max Scherzer, Kershaw, Justin Verlander, DeGrom, I, I do think that they are products of that. And I think in a very good way, I think that training is at a point where we can keep these guys healthy and they can figure out exactly what to do. And all of them have, well, at least Kershaw has, I guess, and DeGrom has in his own way, you know, changed things in these last few years that have maybe, I mean, you wouldn't expect adding velocity to give DeGrom longevity, but it appears to be here. Yeah. And Kershaw has definitely become, you know, more reliant on his breaking pitches. He is without velocity that he had for a while he was never a 99 guy but he is throwing slower than he did before but he's figured out how to pitch you know with that but I I think that there's no reason to believe that you know Jacob deGrom is going to slow down anytime soon I mean he has such an interesting career trajectory right he debuted in 2014 he's I think he's older than Kershaw by a couple months or younger they're basically the same age and Clayton Kershaw debuted in 2008 And Jacob deGrom had multiple arm injuries and, uh, you know, he also went to college and Clayton Kershaw didn't, but that's what accounts for those years. But I I wonder if instead of looking at age, we should really just be looking at number of years pitching at a high level. So for him, since that began in 2014, there's no reason to believe that that won't continue through 2024 or whenever else you want to say, if you want to sort of imagine like 10 years of a really productive career. And if it's more about how often you're putting your arm into the stress of a season, then it is about specifically how old you are. 
Not to mention the pitch counts and, you know, the fact that we have openers now, not just closers and, Mm -hmm. and the game has evolved in that way. There's no question that they're, they're kind of slow playing this stuff and everything you said is dead on. I, I, uh, I watched that Friday broadcast from the Mets broadcast on SNY. And one of the things that they said, they actually did a little report on was why isn't Jacob deGrom using his curveball? I mean, literally has not used his curveball this year. And I believe he used it 30 times last year total. And the answer came from the pitching coach, which was basically, we're just saving that. <laughs> he doesn't need that at this part of his career because his slider is A+. plus, His fastball has become A+. Plus, and his changeup is 92 miles an hour. I mean, the, the, those are the only three pitches anybody would need right now. So the, the curveball, he still works on it in practice and, and in his slow plays. It's there. It's above average. And whenever he gets to the point of his career when he needs it, he'll bring it back out. That, to me, is longevity in a nutshell. Like, they're already planning for his retirement plan, for his decline, for his his three, four years down the road. So, I mean, I, I look at him, and I see him as the next highest paid player in the history of baseball. That's who I'm looking at right now. I'm not looking at the 25-year-olds, like you, like you mentioned with Vlad or some of those players. I don't know how you keep this guy off the top of the list. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, you know, based on what he has done to this point and what he's doing this season, I I do agree with that, but it's just fascinating because, you know, we we saw, you know, I think of when John Lester was a free agent. I mean, people didn't want to give a long-term deal to a pitcher who was going to be in his early thirties, early to mid thirties when it was over. And it's incredible to see that change, but I think that it's, it's very different looking at a 27 year old John Lester, however old he was when he hit free agency and trying to figure out what he's going to pitch like at 34 and looking at a guy who's, you know, 32 years old and knowing that he's doing it right now. I think that that kind of dispels the age questions, at least for this individual, I still have trouble, you know, saying right now that like Lucas Giolito, I have no idea if he'll be like this at 32, right? It's very different with some of these guys who are younger, but I think once you get to this point, you get to this age and you prove that you're still doing it. There's no reason to believe that it won't continue. And I wonder if that can almost change the trajectories of some of these contracts. You know, maybe there is a benefit to becoming a free agent or becoming a free agent again, when you're like 31 or 32, if you're a pitcher like this and you have that confidence in what you're doing and in your longevity, because then you could get a deal through when you're 39, Mm -hmm. which you wouldn't have gotten when you were 27. I think that's right? right. I think what you're saying is right. If you can prove the consistency and maybe even prove that you've settled into something, which that's what it seems like with him. Like he's 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 settled into a situation where maybe he's not doing too much and and maybe that was what a lot of the young kids were doing we're just trying to go out there and throw and overthrow and that's where the injuries come yeah i think that's right sarah i think there's a maturity process and that's when the money should maybe come (laughs) with a lot of these players speaking of which i want to finish on this because it's actually really good timing today is aaron judge's 29th birthday which that's going to surprise some people that, yeah. that that's going to be a number that they're going to like, what, how old am I right now? Like, how, what's wrong with me? Um, late bloomer, <laughs> just like the late bloomer yeah. and tons of injuries. I mean, just unfortunate, completely not his fault injuries for most of them, but here we are. He's got another year of arbitration left. I mean, he's not going to hit the market this year. There hasn't been many talks of extensions in New York, so if we factor in age, if we factor in injuries, and we factor in the fact that they just haven't won a ring, it's been forever in terms of Yankees. Is his window closed on that $300 million deal that many people thought he was going to get maybe two and a half, three years ago? It just seems like everything's against him right now. It does. I mean, I, I hesitate to say that it's closed only because I feel like the, and I always refer to them as trends with these contracts, but I feel like the accepted like middle to high number goes up so quickly that it's almost like impossible to keep track of, right? Like just seeing these amounts, $341 million and everything else. I mean, I have trouble processing these a lot. (laughs) So (laughs) that's not in your wheelhouse. No, (laughs) well, numbers are, but just understanding the quantities and these guys all deserve every cent that they're getting. I don't mean that. I just mean that it happens. I mean, if, Five years ago, I told you that Francisco Lindor was going to get $341 million. I don't think any of us would have understood that. The answer would have been not from Cleveland. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's part of it. But, and I I don't mean that as any disrespect to Lindor whatsoever. It's just that $341 million wasn't even in our imaginations five years ago. So 
I hesitate to ever say no to any number with that, but I, I do think that all of the concerns you said are very valid and I appreciate and like how you said that, you know, these injuries haven't been his fault. They've been kind of freak or whatever else, but you know, the fact is you're looking at a guy who, as you said, is, you know, he's 29 years old today. He's coming up on 30. He had that one outstanding season. I mean, 2017, yeah. you know, you think of how exciting Fernando Tatis Jr. is right now and in a different way because he's a different kind of player, but that's what we got from Aaron Judge in 2017. I mean, that entire month of hype from leading up to the home run derby, the home run derby, and then the span after it until he kind of fell off a bit. I mean, that was incredible. That was one of the best hype months in baseball, at least in recent baseball memory. But if you look at what he's done since then, it just hasn't been on that same level. I mean, it's hard because he's not off to a great start this year. He has four home runs, but overall, he's not slugging well. And I think people would probably be surprised to hear that from 2018 through 2020, he slugged like a, around 5:30 or higher in each of those years because I'm not sure that it felt like that right. um, necessarily. And of course, you know, he played 28 games last year. He played 112 in 2018, so it hasn't been consistent. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder. I wonder at what point he, he plays good defense out in right field, but I almost wonder at what point we start having the conversation of. Is he a DH for someone? I don't think he's there yet. I think he's still too young, but I wonder if that could almost help his value in a way, having that kind of thought. I think it might have to. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. Don't, I don't know that we can think of him as a complete player right now specifically. And oh, by the way, don't, don't you think the having Giancarlo Stanton right there with him kind of side by side is like bad karma for him? <laughs> I mean, don't you feel like that could be the career he's following down right now in terms of the injuries and the up and down slugging and, and kind of the, in, the inconsistency with how we evaluate him? Because you're right, he's been, you know, above average when he's out there. It's just, can he stay out there? So it's just interesting. I think a lot of people are going to see hit, see that number and, and not believe it, not believe it because it's, uh, he, he's going to be at that 31 mark when he hits free agency. And I don't know who's going to be sitting there with 250, $300 million, you know? Yeah. Okay. Anything else? I mean, last time you were on this show, you basically picked three or four of the prospects to watch, and they're all huge right now. So, <laughs> I mean, Corbin Burns is lighting up the lighting up the world. Uh, we oh, still don't know much about Devin Williams yet, but we will. There's going to be time for that because the Brewers are they're they're getting there. Um, any of these teams surprising you? I have well, to imagine Boston, San Francisco. That you know that you may have expected some of that uptick. What about Seattle? No. Yeah, I mean, I, I would put all three of those teams, you know, in the sort of surprising boat uh, in very different ways. I mean, the Red Sox, it really feels like the manager having Alex Cora back yeah. is having a huge impact. Nothing against Ron Renicky whatsoever. But, you know, looking at the roster, looking at the fact that they're not that different from last year, I think that his influence is really playing a big role there. Uh, J.D. Martinez, obviously, in-game video coming back was a huge thing for him, as we've heard about repeatedly. And that certainly what, something is helping him a lot this year in a very good way because, he, you know, he's got seven home runs and he's off to a great start. The Mariners are interesting. I mean, they were a team that I sort of wanted to see make a move this offseason, like just in case they could maybe compete because it felt like the Astros weren't going to be as good and the A's were a bit of a question mark and the Angels, you know, we talked about, it was sort of uncertain. And I, I the player, I think Anthony Castrovens, who works for MLB.com, wrote this in a story. And once he wrote it, I couldn't like unthink it and it didn't happen. <laughs> but uh, he was saying how great Marcelo Zuna would have been yeah. for that team because just for the, you know, play, be the DH every day and add that offense but to their credit they've been really good even without even without him or any other addition like that I have questions about the pitching I have questions about the bullpen their bullpen's off to a great start which is good it also feels like you it's just hard to trust the bullpen especially a month into the season so I have my questions there especially kind of lesser name lesser uh experience type of bullpen but you know, it would be really exciting. I mean, that's the longest active playoff drought. I would love to see them make the playoffs. And I've been thinking that for 10 years at this point. So it would be really great to see that happen. And the Giants are really interesting. I mean, they were, they made some very, every team, obviously, every acquisition is well thought out, very specific and whatever else. But you really got the sense that Farhan Zaidi had some really specific types of guys in mind, especially with some of the pitching acquisitions that they made in the offseason. I'm thinking of Matt Whistler and Jake McGee and even Alice Wood as a starter. 
and it's, you know, it's playing out. I think that these guys have been really good for them and that's been great to see. I think ultimately the Padres are finishing second in that division. (laughs) And I, you know, I know the Giants have a better record right now, but I think if anything, it's just really encouraging for the Giants and a good sign of what Farhan is trying to build there. And, you know, they have a lot of older players. And when there is that turnover with the Brandon Crawfords and Brandon Belts and Buster Posey's, they they have a good foundation for whatever this next sort of era is going to be. She slangs on sports. You don't want to miss her on Twitter. She's following the games with the numbers you're not thinking of. She's the best. Sarah, thank you so much again. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Okay, my thanks to Sarah Langs. Again, she's slangs on sports on Twitter. A great follow to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash Spotrek. Get yourself 40% off your first year subscription today. And dynastyowner.com. It's time. Get your league started. Cash prizes just for fun. However you want to do it. Real NFL salaries at dynastyowner.com. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spotrek Podcast. 